Welcome back to the Urban Kingdom Podcast. Today we are happy to bring you the second part of our sit-down with Manny Mercado. If you haven't caught the first episode, be sure to listen to that. Manny has a great story, and today he shares his insight on money management, urban business, and we continue to discuss what effective ministry could look like. Before we get to that, though, I'd like to make you a special offer. We are pleased to offer our listeners the opportunity to experience a unique leadership event coming up in April. This event is tailored for leadership in business or ministry. It's called the Clarity Factor. It's limited to 50 attendees to create astonishing collaboration and radical generosity and kingdom impact. This event will soon sell out, but you can use this code for the October event as well. Use our code 423UP before March 24 as our way of saying thank you for following the podcast. Find out more about The Clarity Factor at theclarityfactor.net. Manny, you're a financial counselor. I don't really know what that means. So you have to explain to me what, what it means to be a financial counselor. I know that you were, I always just thought you were an accountant. Anybody who does anything with money is just an accountant. Whatever else they do, it's like, okay. Um, I always <laughs> joke that you own 100 houses in the city of Reading. I'm sure you don't. But <laughs> I want you to tell us a little bit about how you came to your positions on finances. Um, I also want to know, have you been able to help or have seen anyone grow in this area that lives in urban communities, it's so easy for people, and especially in partisan politics, to have opinions on the urban culture, urban setting, and how they handle their money, right? And so I have someone like you who lives in the city of Reading, walks to walk and talks to talk. I almost said that wrong. Um, I want to ask you because I don't particularly want to ask somebody that lives in a, you know, in just one setting or one culture and has all these strong opinions that they heard about on the radio last week about how people use their money or welfare or whatever. I want to hear from someone who has lived in these environments, has been on, you know, in several stages in different places. Um, But I also want to hear, have you been able to help people now that you're a Christian, now that you're a pastor? um, Have you seen people be helped by others? Um, And then finally, I want to know a little bit about, you know, many of our listeners are not born or raised in urban environments. Um, In fact, the city may be actually kind of a foreign place to them that they have stigmas about. Um, In what ways have you, do you believe that Anabaptists, Mennonites, Christians in general, who are typically not poor, you know, their money, they typically have money, you know, they get very giving, very whatever. Um, How can they give and help in a financial sense without demeaning or, um, you know, in unhealthy ways, um, disrupting the lives of people that live in cities. So you can take it whatever direction you want, but that's sort of the direction I want to take it. Yeah, definitely. So the whole thing with finances, I just want to say right off the bat that we didn't really, we weren't, as I mentioned earlier, we weren't financially fortunate at all. When I say fortunate, meaning for the U.S., obviously, you know, Mm -hmm. you go to, there's third world countries, um, in the grand scheme of it, we're, we're still blessed. But yeah. in this standard, um, financial literacy was something that we didn't really know about. Mm. Uh, we weren't educated on. A lot of financial literacy gets passed down from your parents. It's mm-hmm. something that historically hasn't been taught that well at school. And so for me, it all started with when I started working in the banking field. Hmm. So I graduated from Fairview Christian School, and 
I went into I went to college for two years and I got my business degree and I always wanted to work in a bank. Why? I'm not sure. Maybe I always wanted to sit behind a desk. <laughs> and when it was winter time, I'd be warm. And when it's hot out, I'd be cool. So I don't blame myself for that. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, so I went into the banking field and I and I did banking for 10 years, okay? Uh, up to about two and a half years ago, I was in the banking field. <clears throat> and that was the first place where... I was challenged financially. Why? Because I would look at my account and I had like an average of $500. Hmm. And then I would look at some other guy's account who was my age or younger. And this guy had like 5,000, 10,000 and whatever else. Mm -hmm. And I always remember thinking like, man, I wish I could have the job that he does. But the reality is that every time he deposited money, it wasn't like he was depositing that much money. Mm-hmm. It, it all came down to the way that this guy was managing his money. Hmm. Okay? And so the way that I was spending my money, I was spending it like I had a tree in the back. Hmm. But, uh, no, I've always been a spender my whole life. And I remember always thinking, like, you know, I got paid and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put this much money in my checking account for spending, and then the rest of the money, I'm going to put it in my savings account, right? And mm-hmm. it felt good to do that. Like, yeah, I'm saving, right? Yeah. But the problem was that a few months later, it just, it always happened, I, I got this itch to get a, buy something big. Mm-hmm. Usually it was a car. Now, in my lifetime, I, I've owned probably like 15 cars. It's like just 15 too many. Yeah. But I will always buy these cars, like, you know, an average of six months. I don't know. That was my thing. And so I will always be paying money and transfer tax and just weird stuff. And anyways, long story short, this money that I would put aside for savings, I, I kept spending. Yeah. I didn't know where my money was going. Mm-hmm. My Every time I made money, I didn't dictate where my money was going but instead, my money was telling me where it was going after I spent it. Yeah. And so that, that was an issue. And, and I want to say that that is a lot of Reading's issue. When I say Reading, mm-hmm. I'm talking about my own city, right? Because I live mm-hmm. there. And Reading was ranked, you know, I think the poorest city in the nation within, mm-hmm. in the last, you know, three to five years. So Reading is considered very, very, very poor. But... There's a lot of people still moving in that want to move into renting. I put a property for rent, and you get, like, 200 requests within two days. Mm-hmm. You know, the population keeps going up. We're about 90,000 people. And I'm wondering what's what's driving people. And I don't know what it is, but... Well, just for th- record, me neither. I don't know why I'm moving the city of Reading. But, no, you got to yeah. chill back to that, <laughs> all right? It's the pastelillo. Yeah, Everybody's yeah. coming for the pastelillo. Hey, I've, I've had those. Those are pretty good, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, the whole thing with the finances, that's, what, that's probably the biggest thing that challenged me, that said, hey, am I managing my money in the best way possible? And it's just something that, that came to mind. And so... Um, working in the credit unions, I obtained my, my certification to be a, a financial counselor. 
And so what that eventually, or what that really means is that I took courses and, you know, got my knowledge up on how to help people that have debt management issues. That's a lot of it, right? It, it's, it's not necessarily a financial coaching. Coaching is more like taking where you're at and, you know, helping you build on that, right, mm-hmm. with stocks and bonds and all that. But it's more like taking people's current situation and helping them improve it with what they have. Hmm. And, and that, that's key because people make a good amount of money and some people think that they had to make, you know, $70,000 a year for them to survive. And what I tell them is that, you know, look at your last two, three month statement and see where your money's going. And you're going to really see that, you know, you're spending a couple hundred dollars eating out and that could be trimmed back. And so we have this problem where we're not being good stewards of our money. And so then we're saying we have a financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And so that that's a lot of what I see going on in writing. And I have a desire to change that. But the thing is that money is, is so foundational. Yet people don't want to admit that they have a money a problem with money. Money is mm-hmm. very personal. Mm-hmm. And I could tell you because I also, I also did credit repair for about a year or two did a little business for credit repair and my goal was to to help people improve their credit but the reality is that their credit is bad because the way they look at money right you know what i'm saying so my my goal was that through credit repair i could use that and really get to to that root issue of money the way they look at money right Mm -hmm. and and because of the way they look at money and their desire to improve their current situation, their desire to do better in life, use that as an avenue to talk about Christ, which yeah. is the most foundational piece to everything. And so I, my the goal that I had to opening that business was to impact, to meet people's needs and to use that as an avenue for Christ. Mm-hmm. The only problem with that business was that they had bad credit because they didn't prioritize payments. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I'm giving a service where they should be paying me. So what's to say they're going to pay me? You know what I'm saying? Right. And so after a while, I had time and time again, people were falling off because they couldn't, they weren't prioritizing their, their payments for their service. Mm-hmm. And so it was a tough Ministry, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. you know, I had to get paid because I was paying for my software and all that. But there's there's that issue of the way people see money, and it's not just the broke people. Mm-hmm. It's you know your your uh, middle class and your high class, probably more so your your higher class. You know, they got so much money they just blow it. But it's a serious thing. Mm-hmm. We're called to steward everything right, and and. Jesus talks about money a lot. Yeah. And so it's a very, it's a touchy subject. It, it's the number one cause of, uh, you know, marriages, uh, split ups and, and problems. Mm-hmm. Like money is something that is a big deal. And so I see this as an avenue to really change people's hearts. So just to be clear, I, I absolutely 100% agree it's a ministry. 
And part of the reason I affirm that is because, you know, typically Anabaptist ministries will consist of food outreach, like giving food to families and um, providing in the moment of need. And I don't mind that at all. Um, I think if um, if I do it interpersonally where someone says, my children are starving, I need food, and I give them food, who's to say you can't start a ministry doing that, right? I don't, I don't mind that. But I think it's even more powerful if you can take one family, um, disciple them and help them and invest in them in a non-demeaning way, in a way that is loving, in a way that is relational. Um, and again, I believe mutual, where we're both benefiting from the relationship. I don't think relationship is true relationship, but that's not the case. Otherwise, it's a um, intervention. Um, but it's absolutely a ministry because if you look at a, if I want to help a kid that I care about and I can get his parents to make better financial decisions, mm-hmm. um, I don't have to bring them food because they can buy food, right? right? I don't have to worry about poverty affecting his life. As a teacher, poverty is one of the biggest issues because it's where I, I would say more than half of um, all trauma-related incident, incidences in life come from poverty. You know, whether you become more susceptible to issues because of it, everything can in some way be linked back to becoming more unsafe, not being cared for, and expect to poverty. That's not to say that poverty is in, a, in and of itself the issue because um, poverty could be caused by addiction, right? Mm-hmm. Caused by other things that are, that are separate in themselves. But if you can get a family, and the kid might not appreciate it in the moment. The kid doesn't care that you're meeting with their parents and helping them think through their finances in the moment. But you are helping them in the long run because they're not, not longer, no longer living in poverty, no lo- which is typically senselessly. Not always, but typically it's senseless poverty, like you said. And they're now going to have the basic essentials in what we deem the basic essentials in life. And that's going to make being able to speak Christ in their life a lot easier because they're not worrying about where the next meal comes from. They're not tormented by their own poor decisions. And and also, not to minimize, they're not also tormented by circumstances they didn't ask for, right? Single right. mothers where they, you know, they it's essentially it's so essential when they're alone, how do they manage, right? Mm-hmm. We don't look at people and look down on them because of their situations. It's not always about how you got there. It's about what you do with it once you're there, right? Now, with that being said... I have some friends that have spoken to me about the sting of being helped by um, Christians. Well, I'm not even going to mention that thing. Just Christians in general who come in and try to fix up their lives and manage their finances for them and buy them clothes and get them looking neat and clean and nice. And they can't help but feel objectified, um, made a project, um, or demeaned. How how do people who have the resources to help do it in a way? And first off, is it important to mind how you help someone in that regard? And second, if it is, if it isn't, say why. But if it is, how do how do people do that when they probably don't speak the cultural same cultural language as well? Um, they don't know how or if they're going to offend someone. They're still learning. How can they come in with money and? Like, is the answer here from what you're saying for the rich people who have money to come in and start doing their own financial counseling? Or is that going to be destructive in and of itself because they don't really know how to do it in a relational way? How can we actually accomplish this in a relational way? It doesn't hurt mm. people, doesn't demean them, doesn't distract them from 
other good things that they're doing? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. And what I would say to that, because, you know, you're going to have people that look at money totally different. Mm-hmm. You look at money based on your current situation, but also your upbringings, your culture. There's a lot that goes into the way you spend money and the right. way you think about it. But I think that one thing we can agree is that we can look at scripture and says, okay, this is what I think, this is what you think, but let's see what Jesus thinks. So, yeah, we, we each have our own perspective of money and the way it should be used um, or how we think about it, but we have to look at the common ground of Jesus. We look at it and sometimes we make our own ex- accept- exceptions or our okays in spending money, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say if I come... All right, you know, I'm Puerto Rican, right? So there's a bunch of Puerto Ricans in Reading that love their Jeeps. Okay, mm. we got the Jeep parade. So we, there's like, I don't know, 20 Jeeps. These guys who put their money in there and all that. So just because I'm Puerto Rican and I'm in Reading, I can say it's okay for me to get a Jeep because this is what we do. Mm. So I'm comparing myself to my culture but then I'm not taking into effect what Jesus is saying. Hmm. Maybe. So what I'm saying is that we need to continue that when we're helping people with, with their finances, we want to help them financially. We have to set an expectation as well and say, hey, all right, you know, let's look to see how Jesus says we should be spending our money. Hmm. And, and also asking them, so what's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish versus... I think your goal should be this. Right. And I think that's really big because if you're coming to help serve them, to help uh, help, to essentially help them improve their situation, that conversation needs, needs to be talked about. So what do you see as, as success and how does this align with what Christ says mm-hmm. and how is this going to get you to your goal? So I think some of those foundational steps need to be in place Versus us going with this preconceived idea of this is what they need. I thought that was brilliant. Like, I, I um, gave a talk about um, J-O-Y. I hated the song when I was in Kids Club. But anyway, Jesus first, yourself, yourself last, others in between. Hmm. That is a concept that we can apply to almost any area of ministry. And in this case, you're saying, uh, above everything, no matter what I think or what you think, Jesus' way is the way. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to constantly pursue that truth. We can't just say bullet point lists. God wants us to spend this much this way, this how, whatever. It's going to be culturally based. It's going to be based on what the person wants based on. But maybe even third most important in the scope of Jesus's way, their way and my way when it comes to their money. Right. From their account and, you know, their use of it um, is what I think is best. Mm -hmm. Just personally from my upbringing. So I think that's where the hurt comes and the frustration is when someone comes in and above and beyond whatever you feel you should do with your own money, what your values are, what your desires are, and above and beyond whatever Jesus said about money and whatever the scriptures tell us about money, you come in and say, oh, you really ought to get this or you really ought to do it this way. You should only be spending this much. You should. It's like I'm the counselor and I know better not only than you. But I'm also not adequately bringing in the principles that Christ brings in about money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where almost all um, ministry failure comes from, is when somebody puts them, they're, they're not posturing themselves correctly to give God the seat 
mm-hmm. you know, to give God the glory, to give God the admiration. And just to be clear, discipleship doesn't work that way either. If you want to convince somebody of your idea, you don't do it by convincing them you have the better idea. You do it by promoting that idea, promoting that. And so with God, who's greater than any, greater than any idea, greater than anything, you know, um, you don't win people for Christ or see people follow Jesus because you convince them that you know better than them. You convince mm-hmm. them that, that the way you think is, is better is such a stronger point to say, look at how amazing God is. Look at what he said and let him be the one that wins you, convinces you, um, gives you the gift of faith. You know, don't, lo- don't let me be the one <laughs> that, that gives you this victory. And in order to feel, do that, we have to have the humility to not be the one that converted you, to not be the one that gets the credit. Right. And that humility is so rare because it, if, you take, if you take out the glory of helping someone, how much would we actually want to serve? Right. If it was just heart, you could never do it out of your own benefit, your own feelings, your own what makes you feel good. How much of us would still be charitable, would still be giving, would still serve? Right. Nope, you said it. And, and in the whole scheme of helping them, you don't want to enable them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, getting a feel for, you know, you're, you, you got to see yourself... And like you're saying, you can compare this to discipleship as well, but you got to see yourself as somebody helping guide someone mm-hmm. through the transition versus getting ahead of them and saying, we're going here, we're going here. Right. And so you're there to help guide the situation and then to make the decisions and, and helping them think through that. And so that in a nutshell, that's what it is. Um, I know one of the questions that you asked me was, you know, how have I experienced helping someone else? Mm-hmm. And I know a, a good friend of mine, um, you know, he came to, he actually came to the credit union because he was looking to refinance his vehicle or he, he bought a vehicle and wanted us to finance it or something like that, which um, I was a loan officer. And so I never really liked, I never really liked giving new loans out. Because I felt like I'm helping you get into debt, mm-hmm. especially for something that I don't necessarily agree with. But I always like refinancing vehicles. Refinancing is you have your loan somewhere else, you know, and they're paying like 8%. And it always made me feel good to knock that percent down to 4%. Mm-hmm. And so I'm taking your, your current financial situation and I'm going to improve it because I'm going to be saving you thousands of dollars by coming here instead. Sure. And so that's the, the most enjoyable part of what I did as a loan officer. And it gave me an avenue to talk to people about finances. And so in that process, I got to speak to my friend. And, and we looked at his financial situation. And he's like, man, we're broke and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, but you got two vehicles that you're financing and uh, something else. I forget what else he had. They weren't managing their money right, is the first thing. But, you know, collectively between him and his wife, they were bringing in, you know, $100,000 a year, which is mm-hmm. decent income for you to be able to make a living and save money and things like that. But yet they were living a life where they were barely saving money. Mm-hmm. And so I encouraged them. We sat down, him and his wife, and I said, hey, you know, you guys have to really look and see where your money is going. If you're not telling your money where it's going then you're not going to be able to keep track of it. And mm-hmm. so I explained that it's essentially going and saying, all right, you make you know, an average of this much money a month. These are your absolute bills that you have to pay. Write them down. This is groceries. 
um, you know, insurance. Like, you got to write down all your bills. This is how much money you should have left over. Okay. So now that you know how much money, you know, you should be accounting for each month, then you know this is how much money you can save and, and mm-hmm. all these things. And it made sense to them. And when they saw it on paper, they were realizing that they were averaging $500 a month in eating out. Wow. $500 a month. That's like a mortgage in Reading. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and so now that they saw that, you know, they're like, man, we got to change that. And so they, they changed it. And this was years ago. So hopefully they're still keeping up with it. But that's an extra, you know, three to $500 a month that could be saved. You, you, mm-hmm. um, you know, add that up and, and it really adds up. And so that's, that's one example. Uh, we're actually right now in the process because th- this whole thing with finances, I haven't advertised it a whole lot, but you know, there, there is a couple that they, they've been struggling financially and they want to live in victory in that area of their life. They're Christians, you know, they want to be, they want to be on fire for the Lord. But the reality is that there's these things from earth, such as finances mm-hmm. that could tie you down and discourage you. And so this is an area that I feel like we're going to be working with them hopefully in the next week or two and helping them to succeed in their finances and giving them avenue by giving them the knowledge because knowledge is power. When you understand things, you have you can make better decisions. And so really looking forward to that because it's going to make a difference in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, that that's I'm really looking forward to that. And that's going to be a blessing for me and for them. It's beautiful, man. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by Asher Whitmer. Asher is a full-time husband, father, student, and author. He also runs a podcast as well. Asher's main message is you don't have to wonder about whether God cares for you. If you desire to know God and see how his message can help make sense of of your human experiences, subscribing to him is a great idea. Asher posts podcasts regularly. Find out more about Asher and his work at asherwhitmer.com. All right, Manny, so I want to move into a segment um, called Wells and Unwells, um, which is a pretty stupid name, but it's memorable, so we're going to go with it, all right? Mm. Um, it's kind of like do's and don'ts um, with ministry, you know, and for people listening in, you know, in what ways have we seen or you seen, um, you or I seen these different um, methods of ministry, attempts, stories, examples that have gone well, and other times that... You know, it's like, uh, don't do that again, right? We already mentioned kids' clubs. Um, one thing that I think is really underrated when it comes to urban ministry is local business. So many people are starting restaurants, starting things. I had a conversation one time with somebody that was basically passionately against um, supporting local business. And, and I'm just like, what makes somebody so upset in life that they would attack local business Mm -hmm. and as i listened to what they were saying um they were saying well if i can get it cheaper um from walmart i'm going to go to walmart and i'm like okay good for you but you know there's something really valuable about going and supporting either someone that you know or someone that you know is trying in your community to succeed um and if they can always just get beat out by especially these what we typically consider unethical and um, questionable um, superstores. It's just crazy to me how people can criticize superstores, but they'll go to superstores over local business at any chance they can, right? Mm. Um, And so 
I think it both includes supporting local business um, wherever possible. It also includes starting local business. Um, I, I was familiar with a ministry that started a store outside the city and then said it was for the benefit of the city ministry. And when I talked with them about it, I was like, look, that's completely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But make sure that people understand that this is not serving um, the store itself is not serving the local community. The money coming from the store is serving the local community. There's a difference because if it was in the community, it mean a lot more, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because then you were actually providing a service for people in the city. The city could rally around it and support that. Um, so you're actually, I told them that they were missing out on a opportunity to to sh- to let the city show that they can support and get behind a vision, mm-hmm. um, which they definitely can. Um, so most times businesses will be started about an hour, half hour outside the cities. Um, and then people will bust into churches or go into churches, but they won't live in the cities. So anyway, one of the things that I know that you're starting here, now obviously you're, you're a hood rat. You live in the city, right? <laughs> um, so um, this is not comparable to you maybe for what I just talked about. But you are starting a cafe in the city of Reading, right? Mm-hmm. I want to hear more about that. It's called Salt and Light Cafe. Um, and also, you're starting, you're on a school board for a school starting in Reading. I want to hear you talk a little bit about that as well. So, um, and then I also want to hear what things have you seen in regards to this with, um, I obviously talked about what I think goes well in cities about, about supporting local business, building local business. Um, oh, and I think it should be mentioned that I do not believe that starting local business should become something that pushes other businesses out of the city. Um, one of the one of the most destructive things that happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s is these neighborhoods that were primarily minority represented, um, their businesses got shut down because wealthier people that were not minorities came in and could afford to run business there. So you're dependent on my store that I just replaced your uncle, right? Um, and now you have no choice but to go here because you didn't have Amazon, you didn't have Walmart, you didn't have these things. That's that's called gentrification. I am not supporting that. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that if it truly serves the community, if it was truly, like you said earlier in the podcast, meeting a need that actually needed, right? So if they don't need a laundromat, don't start a laundromat, right? Don't go and, and boost it and have all your church friends come support your business and coin it as a ministry. That, to me, is lying to yourself and lying to the public. But if it really is a service to the community, there's beauty in that, right? Mm-hmm. But that's different than taking advantage of a community because you can go make money off of them. I'm not supporting right. that. So anyway, you can take it from here. Sure. So starting with, with our cafe, Salt and Light Cafe, yeah, we're very excited about that. And we're in the beginning stages of it. And this came about early this year um, as a church, actually. And we went through a, a time where our, our bishop encouraged us to uh, be in, in prayer and fasting about, you know, potential needs in our congregation, needs in our district, and needs in our community. And through, through that, um, that process, this need came up for... Um, community connection. I think it derived from our college. There's a college that went into the downtown. The college is called Alvernia, 
and they were right outside of the city of Reading, but they they put one of their uh, main facilities right downtown. And so, in addition to that, they they just bought a building across the street, and it looks like there's going to be some expansion happening with more students coming in their faculty and obviously more more uh, activity with their parents coming in and all that. So. With with this new start of what's happening in the downtown, the question was how can we how can we how can we touch them or how can we be a part of that? How can we be a part of that opportunity of you know this influx of students coming in? Is there possibility for that? And so, you know, we we talked about that in the past, and there there was talks here and there about man, it'd be kind of cool to open up a cafe because a cafe is one of those places that people just like to go into and it's just a chill ambience it's a it's a place where conversations happen and Mm -hmm. you know it's not like a fast food restaurant where you go in and you're out and you know and so i kept i kept hearing that and i said you know we've talked about this a while for we talked about this for a while now and just you know kicking the idea here and there and i was like why don't we take practice steps to actually see what God is saying about it mm-hmm. versus I'm the type of guy that I get all kinds of crazy ideas and I don't know which ones are mine and which ones are God's. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why I have my wife. She kind of helps to discern that. Yeah. But in, in a, in a, you know, a, a church need like that, that came up, I wanted to find out, I kind of wanted to, in a sense, test God. And, and I don't want to say that in a negative way. But I, I wanted to be proactive in discerning what God is saying about this. Mm. And so I, I made a, an announcement to the church, and I said, hey, if you're interested in being a part of, of a prayer um, for the discerning of this idea, um, I have a sign-up sheet in the back, and about, I can't remember, fifth, about 15 people signed up or something like that. And... You know, this was a group of people that dedicated 30 days to praying in, in everyday manner about this this idea of a cafe. And then what I told them was, after the 30 days, we're going to get together, and I would like to hear from you guys to see how did you feel, what did you feel God was saying about this possibility of a cafe opening here in the downtown area? Mm-hmm. And so that was step one. And so when we all got together, it was um, mostly a yes. When I say mostly, there might have been one individual that, you know, thought that it might be a burden to the church hmm. if, if we have like a church cafe. At this point, I didn't. I wasn't sure it was going to be a church cafe, a district cafe, a Manny cafe. You know, like we just didn't really know. And and so, yeah, it's one of those things that he wasn't quite sure, but he gave his blessing on if we decided to proceed. And so then after that, then I created a, a group called I, I called it the Launch Team. These are guys that were. Uh, dedicated to you know continuing to discern but also to do any legwork that might be involved in it you know help making decisions whether um you know what does the next step look like so we feel like god opened up a door he's saying yes keep going but then you need foot on the ground you need all right so we're gonna start working towards it and so we actually there was a property on penn street which is the main street there that came up available so we all went we looked at it and space was great and all that, but, you know, we just didn't feel it was the right time. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't really have somebody. Till this time, we didn't really have somebody that said, hey, 
I want to take the leadership in this this cafe, you know, because you have to have. First of all, we needed to decide: is it going to be a for profit? Is it going to be non for profit? If it's a for profit, then who's going to be, you know, the, the owner or owners? If it's a non for profit, like we have to present it to the church, do they want to be, you know, um, umbrella over us and things like that? There's a lot of unknowns, mm-hmm. okay. But as time went on, there was this other church up the block from where I live. It's actually about two blocks up. You know, great location. And the church has a commercial space. It actually has two commercial spaces in the front. And one of them used to be a cafe. And it closed down about two, three years ago when COVID happened. I didn't have any connections to the church. Didn't even think about that place. But here, they were in a journey that they started that they felt a revelation and a direction from the Lord to open up that cafe again, hmm. to open up that spot, because that's a place where community can happen. And so the connection was made through one of our pastors that, hey, this church is looking to open up. I think it's worth a conversation. And so we went, we had a meeting, and long story short, it felt like it was a it felt like they had a puzzle piece and it felt like we had the other puzzle piece Hmm. and these two puzzle pieces that come together. And so the vision that we had for it was the same vision that they had for it. The only thing is that they had the facility and we had the driving force or, you know, like we can provide the, the, the staffing and and the funds needed and all that. Mm -hmm. And so it's literally two pieces that came together and, and so, long story short, we are, yeah, in the process of starting this cafe. It's called Salt and Light. And I felt like those words came from the Lord because we want that place to be salt and light in the community. Mm-hmm. I don't want that to just be another place where people go in and then they go out. Mm-hmm. I want this to be a place where the presence of God would be felt. And there's a different culture when you go in there. Mm-hmm. And people can sense that. People can sense when when there's believers behind the counter. And I want that place to be that. Yeah. I want that to be a place of, of security where people can go in there, they feel safe. I want it to be a place where great conversations happen. I want it to be a place where productivity happens. You know, when, when college students come in, I want them to feel like they're productive. Like, I want that to be a place where, um, yeah, connections can be made where we know people that are coming in. We know them by name. Mm-hmm. And and also, yeah. So so this idea of a cafe is really a vehicle to people. Yeah. Okay? This is not the end result. I'm not opening a cafe because I love coffee. I like coffee, but mm-hmm. it takes me like five minutes to make a coffee. Like, I'm not even sure how to run those machines. But yeah. it creates an avenue for people. Mm. And that's what I'm about. And so it, it gives us space. It gives us a voice in the community when we have a space like that. And what I would like to do is on a monthly basis, I want to capitalize on our space. I want to capitalize on the people coming in. And I want to I give to the community. So my goal is to, on a monthly basis, provide, you know, bring somebody in, whether that's me or somebody else, speakers there to educate our community mm-hmm. in finances, in home ownership, what does that look like? 
you know, if it's a, a credit thing, like things that people are dealing with now that will speak to them. Well, there's so much potential in yeah. that. Yeah. And so that that's what's going on with that. Very excited. Yeah. You think about it, pray for us as we continue to discern that. And and then switching over to Arrows Christian Academy, mm-hmm. um, growing up in a, in a Christian a school, well, not growing up, but it was more like three years that that I was there before I graduated. You were at Fairview. I was at Fairview Christian yeah. School, yeah. And it's definitely different from Reading High School. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things was obviously the culture there and, and the priority in Christ. And that was foundational in my life. And I began to notice that a little more after I graduated. But, you know, those those are... We, we talk about a, a kids' ministry, um, very popularly a kids' club, right? But we understand that kids' club happens once a, once a week for two hours, you know? And then, you know, they go home to a place where there's probably a lot of darkness, right? Um, but the other place that people, the, the kids spend most of their time is, is at school. And so we realize that those are three areas that are very influential and so, you know, maybe we can't reach the home life. We can reach the, the, the children, which that helps. But there is a need for more Christian schools. Mm-hmm. When I say that, it's true. There's a need. Sometimes we feel like, okay, there's, there's one Christian school in your city. You should be good. No. There's 20,000 students. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm... L- Fairview has a maximum capacity of 175 students, okay? There's a ton of students in Reading, yet when we brought up the idea of, you know, oh, we're, we're potentially going to be opening a Christian school, or we've been talking about it for a long time, like, man, there's a need for it. People, it would be new to people, like, well, but there's Fairview there. Mm-hmm. But Fairview's only so big. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Like, And so the idea of, Another avenue of ministry is not something that people are necessarily used to. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that we need to be open to other sources of ministry yeah. versus just the traditional kids club, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about the cafe. That's another source of ministry. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, we're, we need more Christian businesses in the marketplace. We need more of that influence. We're, we have the power of Christ. We have the answer to many people's problems, but yet we live a life of very, you know, um, being secluded and not offending or being out there all like that. But we can live a life of influence, and that makes a difference. And so thinking about Eros Christian Academy, um, it's one of those things that we talked for a while. I always told uh, my friend Kevin, Kevin Martin, he's actually going to be the administrator for Eros Christian Mm -hmm. Academy, um, great friend of mine. But, you know, we, we talk about it in the past. And I'm like, come on, man, just start it. Just do it. You know, I'm that guy that's like, just do it. And he's that guy all more like, oh, all the pieces got to be put together. He's the administrative type. Mm-hmm. And I'm more like, let's just go. So Kevin would be more of the administrative side to it. And I would be more of the, let's go. Let's get it started. We'll figure it out later. And and things like that. So you need you need to make sure of both. But anyways, right. we talked about that for a while. And. Um, actually, my, my father-in-law came up about a year or two ago from Mexico. They were, uh, as a family, doing a church plant down there. 
And he's more of that that same guy, like, hey, let's let's give it a shot, let's see what God is doing, and things like that. And so, um, in in the journey of that, during that conversation, I think it was about a week later, somebody told my father-in-law that there was a church that was going up for sale, literally like a block away from where he lives. And so the church went up for sale, humongous building, and you know it was just spacious and came with a parking lot of like 75 vehicles so in reading parking is gold okay there's more vehicles mm. than parking spots yeah, so i'm familiar that's why i don't like going there reading yeah i'm surprised i got a parking spot out here is that normal uh during the day yeah okay. at night you're not going to find anything but during the day people go out at work okay so it's better all right good so this this church came up for sale and we're just kind of like, hey, this thing came up. Like, maybe it could be a possibility for a school. There wasn't a lot of planning before that, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we actually went and looked at it, and it was just, it was so big. And then it came with, with the parking parking lot and all that. And And so, yeah, long story short, some connections were made, and there were some investors that were interested in the vision that we had for it and they they got excited about that and the potential and the area just seemed to be a a a great area because it was kind of like opposite ends from fairview and so it seems like you know fairy was here on this side and we're over here on this side you know not that we're rivals or anything like that but you know we we were able to cover a different area uh and to be a light in a different area of Mm -hmm. the neighborhood and so you know that that came up, and we made them a we made them an offer, and share with them the vision that we have for this this mm-hmm. building. It is not we're not turning this into multi units, right? We're not going to turn this into apartments. We're not going to rent this out for facilities or anything like that. But you know we're looking to improve the community, and we're looking to promote families, and we're looking to yeah promote education. And, and all these things. And the church that was there before was a church that was dying. And so when we presented that that idea to them, it, it really excited them about it because it kind of brought life to the building. And so anyways, we did that. We And we purchased the building last year, actually around this time. And was it last year? Yeah, I think it was last year. Last year or two years ago. Either last or longer. I'm not really good with my timing, but it's like a year ago or two. And so anyways, we're very excited about it. Now, we've we've run into some hiccups with zoning. Mm -hmm. You know, the zoning department, especially in Reading, is is very, very hard to work with. You would think there would be a huge incentive to to do something like that in Reading or to open up businesses. But no, it's just difficult just because it is. And so if you guys think about it, pray for us with, with zoning and as we try to decide how we should be running this school and Mm -hmm. just a lot of things to navigate through before we open up. We were hoping to open this year and we had a lot of people asking about it before we really even advertise it. So there is a need for that. Um, But anyways. It's interesting because um, Tidings of Peace um, here in York um, is a school in the Urban Educators Collective and they just went to their new building last year. And they, it took us I think three years longer than we had originally planned. I think it's three, maybe I'm at two. Um, we had people graduate wow. that were kind of bitter. Like we were supposed to be in that building. I didn't get to go in the building. And I'm like, 
you could always go visit, right? I mean, yeah. but when you guys, I remember when you guys launched, I, I followed everything. I watched every video, everything on your social medias. You guys said you were going to try to open up, and the building is almost perfect. It's already set up for, and I'm like, that's how y'all feel about the building, but mm -hmm. wait until your, your city government takes a look at it, and they will inevitably make it more difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and so anybody wanting to start a school, anybody wanting to start anything um, that is a service such as a school, um, plan an extra year or two of um, just dealing with permits and zoning and you know, you have to put sprinklers in or elevator. I mean, elevator. Have a, yeah, elevator. I don't know why I should go that way. Um, anyway, oh, um, we've been doing this for a long time. It's an hour and a half now. Um, so, yeah, I, I love the vision of Arrows. And, um, of course, Arrows is a school in our collective. And so we will be supporting it with the podcast going forward and promoting it as much as possible, giving updates. Um and also just love to see what's happening with Salt and Life Cafe. I mean, I think that is a great example of a, a good idea put into action. And so hopefully that takes off. When are you planning to launch um, the uh, cafe? I'm hoping to open in March. March? Yeah. Okay. So the beginning of spring. Yeah. 